0: Welcome to the Cult of Domesticity podcast, a podcast about history, true crime, and whatever life brings us. I'm Courtney, and every week I am joined by another fascinating person. Let's see what we're going to talk about this week. So, welcome back, devotees. Heather and I are back. If you would like to introduce yourself. Okay, I'm Heather from Nature vs. Narcissism and Status Pending. Both are wonderful, and Status Pending has new episodes out right now. Yes. We actually had... Almost 1,000 downloads within, like, like less than 48 hours, which was amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm like, huh, how? How do I do this on Nature versus Narcissism? Witchcraft. Seriously. It's amazing. We'll get some candles and some murder birds. Not real live murder birds. <laughs> no live murder birds will be hurt. No. That's not okay. And then I don't know where to go from there. Okay. <laughs> so, this is what I... So, I found out over... Christmas, that my godmother and her husband have met Chris Hansen from To Catch a Predator. Stop it. Dude, Jason should be in here right now. He watches it every day. So, he had gone to the Cleveland Police Department. Um, they At one time, they both worked in sex crimes. He was the detective side. She's social work. So... Yeah, they both got to learn how to, more importantly from one of the best people, like how they caught predators and all of that and oh, get tips and... Oh, sure. my God. Yeah. I am fangirling so hard, I can't wait to meet her. <laughs> that is so cool, though. Mm-hmm. Chris Hansen's a beast. Yeah. Dude. Yeah, oh, yeah. I don't even know how I'm going to focus now. <laughs> that is so cool. I mean, on top of it, like, between the two of them, sometimes when I tell them, uh... Like, the case I'm working on, especially, like, the Anthony Sowell one, like, after we were done recording, they're like, oh, yeah, no, we knew the detectives, we knew... The prosecutor. I seriously need to interview them about that. That's my next Patreon case. I've been like pushing it off every week because you're like, hey, I know somebody. Yeah, I don't know if she'll talk on record because she, she doesn't have to. On she record. still works for county, right? But he's he's retired. We were happy. He retired before the convention in Cleveland because oh, it was nice. A little bit of a shambly mess on the city side. Heather got me the loveliest Christmas present. Let's see if it fits. No, it's going to sink. Oh no. no! No, it's it's good. I can get it. Okay. <laughs> um she got me a tumbler with a not, with a reusable straw cuz she knows I hate straws. I hate single-use plastic straws and I just tell people, but the turtles. I know and I I told somebody about this the other day and they're like, "I don't get it. What is straw? What do turtles do with straws?" And I was like, "Oh, oh god. That video it, where it's stuck in him and they're pulling they're pulling yeah, a straw out of a turtle's nose. Yeah. That was so terrible. And they had like pliers and everything. That's I just, the one I kept thinking of. When yeah, you that's said the that. one. Yeah. Okay. Okay, let's talk about depressing things. Get, okay. If you are available, get a cocktail, get a drink. <laughs> if you are available. Because <laughs> if you're at work, don't do that. That's how you end up fired. Or do. I mean, you only live once. Yeah. Might as well tell a story. <laughs> One time, I was listening to this murder podcast, and they told me to grab a drink, so I did. Turns out, I was at work, and I got fired. Apparently. It's a great story. Apparently, being a federal employee means I can't drink at work. It's fucking stupid. <laughs> I'm not a federal employee, by the way. I'm just going to put that out there. Because I changed jobs so much, so who knows at this point. I mean, that's good, though. Who's Serial killers can't keep up with you. That's true. I keep moving. My address keeps changing. I just have to make sure someone knows where I live. I still technically don't. I haven't been there yet. We've been here an hour trying to record. (laughs) Six years later. Yeah. And we keep getting distracted. Okay. So the last time we did a collaboration, it was Your Case. Yes. Which was also Cincinnati. Yes. This one is the Bricka family murders. And I don't know how much you looked into it. I only know what my co-worker told me, and then I told you, you should look at this one, and you were like, yes. And it's so weird, because the same day you did that, Jason sent me the same article, and I was like, guys, do I scream murder to you? <laughs> Why are you doing this? But yeah, I do, I guess. My sister does that to me, too. It's fine. I love it. I just have people who send you articles about murder. Dude, same. Like, there's somebody who I haven't talked to in person for, like, four years now, and they tagged me in something. They were like, hey, I thought you'd like this. And I was like, by the way, cool, congratulations on your marriage and all your kids. It's been forever. Thanks for sending me the murder story. <laughs> like, they know exactly what I like. I just... just get a tattoo. Thanks for the murder story. <laughs> oh, that could be my next one. I've been trying to figure out which one I want. <laughs> Thanks for the Instead of thanks for the memories, thanks for the murders. <laughs> thanks for the murderies. <laughs> yes. Okay. Nobody else can have that. That's ours. <laughs> Trademarked. All right. So, the of family murders. Same day you sent that to me, Jason sent it to me. Yeah. Like, we already discussed people send us murder we're the, stories. We're on the same same wavelength. That's fine. Your husband and I. <laughs> Apparently, he's on the same wavelength as a lot of people. <laughs> We'll get into that later. All right. So um, if any of your listeners have ever listened to Status Pending, they kind of already know the gist that we like older cases Mm -hmm. mostly because they're unsolved. Yeah. But so this one's another one. We like bringing them back to the surface so we can like shine light on them like with a Tara Grinstead case. Mm -hmm. So like I said, if your listeners have ever listened to Status Pending, they realize that we do like a lot of unsolved cases and we like the older ones because it shines a new light on them. So, like, Payne Lindsay did the Tara Grinstead case, mm-hmm. and while they were doing it, they made some arrests in the case because people started talking. Finally, yeah. they got people talking about it. So I think that's what they're trying to do with this case as well. Mm-hmm. And once you told me about this case, I was like, holy shit. Like, I want to interview the author of this book yeah, and he- see if we can do, like, an in-depth deep dive on it as well. He's done... Um, I can't remember his name, but he has several... Townsend. Townsend. He has several books. Queen City Gothic is one of them. Yeah. And on, they're all based in Cincinnati. All Cincinnati true crime. So it's if very you cool like Midwest true crime, check out his work. Dude, yeah. Yeah, perhaps you'll be in on the interview. <laughs> That's probably a horrible idea with the two of us. <laughs> we'll never get done. He'll be like, why are you guys here again? I forgot. How do you guys have an... Like, really, we record about three billion hours of audio to get down to an hour. Yeah. 30 minutes without ads. (laughs) It's called uh, Record Drunk. Edit slightly less drunk. I was going to say, not sober. (laughs) No. 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 Normally, you got to edit a little with a little hair of the dog, because otherwise you're like, man, I sound like a (laughs) dumbass. Should I really have said that? Again, going back to the baby canon. Yeah. But I keep saying it. God, not again. (laughs) It was 1966 and the Bricka family, which consisted of the dad, Jerry, who Mm -hmm. was 28, the mom, Linda, who was 23, and the baby daughter, Debbie, who was four years old. She already popped out a kid. Like, she's three years younger than me. Damn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People are on it. We're not. It's also the 60s, so you have kids younger. Yeah. So they had moved from Seattle roughly three years earlier, so... 1963-ish, mm-hmm. and Jerry took a job at the Monsanto plant in Addiston. Oh, Monsanto. Yeah. That could be I, a whole nother episode. Oh, That needs to be an episode where I'm by myself, because that's not going to go well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll listen, though. <laughs> Linda, prior to this, had been a stewardess, so... I mean, that sounds pretty cool, though. That honestly. sounds like fun. You know, you get to travel... You get to probably be groped in the air. All the fun things. I was like, wait, that's the fun part? Okay, gotcha. No, no, okay. it's not the fun part. It just <laughs> happens, probably, at that time. Oh, it does, yeah. It did, and probably still does, but... You can't stab people with forks, because apparently that's frowned upon. <laughs> she says so angrily, That's not allowed. <laughs> The family were living in a modest Green Township home on Greenway Avenue in Cincinnati. So, like, that's, like, a super easy address. Green Township, Greenway Avenue. It's great. Green on green. (laughs) Um, According to the neighbors, the family kept to themselves for the most part. Debbie was described as pretty and precocious and a joy to the neighborhood. The little four-year-old. So, like, when they moved How? in, she was, like, roughly a year old, so they, they watched her grow. So, in this neighborhood, according to Detective Brian Williams, it was a quiet, safe, secure kind of neighborhood, and it was on the west side of Cincinnati, which, now, when you think about the west side, it's like, oh, that's not safe. Yeah. <laughs> or at least, like, parts of the west end. Mm-hmm. Um, but Wait. he said they would, they felt so safe that they would even leave their doors and windows unlocked at all times. Fuck no. Right. <laughs> My parents live in a safe thing, and we're always locking our doors and windows. I I lock them as as soon as I walk in the door, I lock them. I mean, granted, that screwed me over because I've locked myself out of the house. I mean, it happens. Yeah. That's why they hide a key. In that day and age, they thought it was safe. They left their doors and stuff unlocked. But after this incident, no more. It didn't happen. After September 27, 1966, at about 10 p.m., that all changed. So neighbors hadn't seen the Brickett family for two days, so since the 25th, Jerry was last seen on September 25th taking the trash can to their curb around 9 p.m. Now, I was doing some extra research after I typed this up, and I found this Reddit thread that went, like, a deep dive into some theories and stuff. It went X-Files on this shit? Dude, I was so lost in this thing. (laughs) But they were talking about his last day. They were talking about how he got up and he went to work, even though it was a Sunday. Start, Jerry's last day. I'm just picturing the, the dateline. Yeah, exactly. It's a little sitcom Jerry's last day. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it has, like, the little time mm-hmm. slots. Mm-hmm. 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 And it said even though it was a Sunday, he it wasn't odd for him to go to work on a Sunday mm-hmm. at the Monsanto place. Uh, so he went to work, and he got off work, I think they said about 6 p.m., and then he stopped at UDF gas station, and then he stopped for milk, and then he... You can get milk at UDF. It's an ice cream place and a... I know. Station, which I know. don't go together normally, but it's delicious. I it works with UDF. Mm-hmm. So they th- he did all that, and then he got home around eight p.m. Mm-hmm. to find Linda and Debbie. In the main room, mm-hmm. like off of the living room. It was like a, I think they said it was a three story house, is what they lived in. Mm-hmm. So they were downstairs, like in the room off of the den, doing the laundry. Like, and the, like this whole Reddit thread knew all these details. And I think a lot of it came from Townsend's books, which yeah. I'll get to later. But so that's at 8 p.m. He gets home and then he's last seen at 9 p.m. taking the trash out. And that was it. Nobody ever saw any of them again. So the neighbors were growing concerned and two men in the neighborhood went to the A home where they discovered the front door unlocked. Mm-hmm. One of the two men, by the name of Dick Meyer, immediately recognized the stench of death
1: from yeah. when he was
0: in World War II. And he pulled the door shut, started crying, and they walked away and called the police. They didn't even go in the home. Thank you, Dick, though, because that's a preserved fucking crime scene exactly. right Exactly. That, like, when I read that, I was like, holy fucking shit, somebody has a brain. They didn't go in there and contaminate it. That is always the problem with older cases, mm-hmm. is someone goes in there, drapes around, and fucks with shit. hmm So they, like, I don't, we haven't gotten this point, but like, that's <laughs> like, it's normally like, where does it go wrong? Someone walked in and fucked up shit. Yeah. A.K. Like, the- yeah. um, Moved shit. Jetted, um, John Benet Ramsey case, like, people came in, fucked with shit. Beverly Jarrows case that we covered on status pending. Dude, that was like- really old and they let the media in the bedroom to take pictures of the crime scene probably because like, they didn't have cameras well I mean the detectives were there as well but they they all went in there mm-hmm. and I'm just like no 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 no, that's not how this works yeah so yeah so definitely props to Dick there he, he knew what to do I just want to <laughs> title this now props, props to Dick, Dick. <laughs> I mean we can we can <laughs> um, but that's sad though like he knew yeah, that he smell was... immediately and he just started crying and he's like this is not good yeah but So they went and they called the police. Uh, upon arrival, the police discovered the deceased bodies of all three family members. They had been stabbed in their bedrooms on the 25th, is what they're um, theorizing, that it happened two days prior. Yeah, well, if, the, if it smelled all the way down there, mm-hmm. it had to have been a couple days. Yes. That's bodies what I was thinking. It take a bit to Start bloat to and smell. Yeah. So, presumably, they were all killed in their sleep. You hope. You hope, Yeah. Um, the mother and daughter were still in their nightgowns. They were all found in their own bedroom. So the mother and father were found in their bedroom. The baby daughter was found in her bedroom. And I keep saying baby because she's four. She's basically a baby. Yeah. Um, it was as if the killer or killers didn't want anybody to survive because of the way that they killed them. Um, Jerry was stabbed nine times. The mother, Linda, was stabbed ten times. And the little girl was stabbed four times, but with so much force that the knife went through the front of her body and out the back of oh! her body on every single step. Yeah. No. Four years old and they did that no. to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll get to a couple of the theories that people think later on, but... Ugh. How do like, you do that to How do child? you do that, yeah, to a four-year-old? An innocent four-year-old. Unless it's because you want to cover something else. Unless God, mm-hmm. the four-year-old all shit. Exactly. Or knew the person, which we'll get to that, too. Yeah, so one of the neighbors, Judith Hemmer, stated that she, because they went and they interviewed people. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to say that now, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I want to say that once they started looking into this again, they went back and talked to a couple people, and I think she was one of the people that they talked to, and she's in her 70s now. Um, she stated that she remembers the Bricka family murders and how it changed the dynamic of the entire neighborhood, like, with the whole locking your doors and windows and stuff. It probably changed more than just that neighborhood. It did. It changed, like, the whole scene of, like, Cincinnati. Um, and we'll get to another reason why in a second. But she said that everybody became scared. They no longer left their doors unlocked. They even bought deadbolts for their doors. They bought big dogs. Mm. So, almost everybody in her neighborhood had a big dog to protect them. Nobody sat on their porch at night anymore. Nobody walked on the sidewalks at night anymore. It was like, it went from the neighborhood being, oh, everybody's cheery, everybody's unlocked, everybody's hanging outside it went, at It night went from to, Andy Griffith's show to deserted. Basically, yeah. So, like, once it was dark, nobody was outside. It was, it was like, a complete... I don't blame them, though. I don't either, because fuck did it, is yeah. what they're thinking, you know? Um, so... Obviously, this triple homicide shook Cincinnati, especially this part of the city, because it was, like, the safest, most secure Mm -hmm. area of the city at the time. Nothing like that had ever happened before. So, Hamilton County detectives conducted an extensive investigation, as they should have. And when I say extensive, I mean really extensive. They had over 400 interviews with people not just in Cincinnati, but across the entire country. How and why how they had these links to interview people around the country, unless it had something to do with, like, where they moved from, maybe? It may be any, any lead that came in, they were following it. That's what it sounds like. So, like, people from everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of the 400 interviews, only 16 were flagged as, quote-unquote, especially suspicious. And I'll get into that a bit later, too, because that's, like, a huge red flag. Mm-hmm. The police were looking into several possibilities, including burglary, a crime of passion, and even a fallout from a rumored affair. Mm. It's getting spicy. Spicy. Even still, these leads and theories and interviews didn't help the police catch the killer or killers, because 52 years later... We don't know. Police still haven't arrested anybody. Do you think we're gonna have, like, a I'll be gone in the dark moment? I hope so. Because, I mean, the book just came out. Uh Uh-huh. So... Who knows? Spicy spicy, mysterious. Mm-hmm. At first I thought it was just like people talking when I started reading those little rumored affairs, but <laughs> I started digging. No. And I found some stuff. Oh, please do tell. <laughs> do tell. <laughs> so evidence. When detectives searched the crime scene, the brick of home, they were unable to locate the knife that was used. Later on, once I did some more digging, mm-hmm. later on, they found what type of knife it was because it was missing from the home. Ooh. So it's almost like the killer used one that was already in the house and then they took it with them. Okay. So they planned on doing something, but they did not bring the murder weapon. Intriguing. Mm-hmm. Or they were there for a different reason and got spooked. Fingerprints, hair, and fluid samples were taken. Fluid, Mind you, this was in 1966. That was very, like, smart of them. Yes. So, being in the 1960s, we didn't have the technology we do now, like Mm. DNA analysis, but they were thinking ahead. They were Mm. like, hmm, you know, there's stuff here. We should probably keep it. Yeah. They also fingerprinted the entire place. Come to find out later, there were, I think, four sets of unidentified fingerprints. Four? They still haven't haven't identified them. Either four sets or four fingerprints. I can't remember. Sorry. But there's one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Detective Williams and Detective Douglas Todd, which... Mm. I've talked about him before, I'll have to find the episode, but he's like a really big detective, I guess, Mm -hmm. in Cincinnati. They inherited the case, and they weren't even born when these crimes happened. Yeah. So crazy, if you think about it. Uh, They explained that although the police took fingerprints and gathered evidence from the scene at the time of the murders, they didn't have the ability to perform the testing that they can today. Additionally, the evidence was not preserved as well as it should have been to be able to properly test it, so since then it's degraded. So they can't even get enough of a sample off mm-hmm. of that stuff. Which sucks, because they tried. <laughs> yeah, but if you think about it, they didn't really know how to properly preserve, preserve it, it either. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's so hard. We're, um, in hindsight, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm, shit. But yeah. they didn't know. They did the best they could, I feel like. They really, yeah. they really tried. They tried to be as thorough as possible, in which, for some of these cases, we like people talk about, you're like, oh my god. Yeah, how could you miss that? And yeah. it's not even like this in the 60s it'll be like in the 90s and you're like how did you why did you walk through the crime scene why did you just trample your muddy feet through there there's blood there (sighs) yeah i don't know but yeah they did they did what they thought Hmm. was right which was really great but like you said they had no way of knowing exactly how to preserve it um Williams and Todd, since being handed over the case, have been going through all of the files, so there's like a box that they keep referring to, which you've seen them before, like the filing boxes that keep the documents. They're hoping that a fresh look at the case will lead to a break. Williams and Todd stated that they will be going over all of the files and re-examining the entire case, top to bottom. In an interview with WCPO, Todd said, quote, we're actually working on something right now going back to the technology 50 years ago. Simple fingerprints. But that's all I can tell you right now, end quote. I know. It's very spicy. It's so spicy. It's <laughs> so spicy. It's like, it's like when you're waiting for your meal to come in a restaurant, <laughs> and you keep seeing other people's food going I know, past. I know. So you're just like... It's it's basically that. Like, they're just waiting for that moment. Yeah. So Williams and Todd believe that it's going to be solved by just the little, the slightest piece of information mm-hmm. that someone may be holding on to. Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason. So people... At that time were in their twenties and thirties that mm. lived in that neighborhood or they were associated with them. So now they'd be in their seventies or eighties. So at this point it's like, why wouldn't you speak up kind yeah. of thing? Um so back then maybe they were holding on to this information thinking, oh, that doesn't matter, it has nothing mm. to do with it, or oh, I really don't want to like throw that person's name under the bus. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that's my friend, they wouldn't do it. Yeah. I wouldn't do like why would I throw them under the bus? Right. They've always been there for me. There's no way they could do that. Or perhaps maybe they believe what they saw or heard wasn't relevant. So, like, you hear about those cases all the time. Like, oh, well, I saw this one guy walking, but it didn't seem to mean anything to me. That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like what people don't realize is that small little detail might connect to something bigger that the police already know. You know, if you don't share that. Or it might... Put someone on their radar. Yeah, exactly. Like, like oh, we talked to them. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, like, we talked to them. We had a weird feeling about that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I don't know, but the, they're urging the public to come forward with any and all information because at this point, anything that's not in the box is relevant to this case is what they're saying. So, anything that's not already in their files, they need to know. Yeah, it could it could lead to something. So here's just a small little break for you guys. <laughs> if you have any information, call them at 513-851-6000. Yeah, that was three zeros, right? <laughs> and the country code is one. Aside from the detectives who are re-examining it, Williams and Todd, what else happened to bring this case to light again? Can we please talk about how Williams and Todd sound like they're one person? Mm-hmm. Like Williams Todd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Well I'm glad you asked. Since you interrupted. No, I'm just <laughs> no. You're welcome for this interruption. <laughs> Thank you. That was good, though, because I thought it was one person earlier. So a local historian, which we discussed at the beginning of this by the name of J.T. Townsend, says that he has an idea. I love historians, and he's actually pretty good. I have some I have feelings about, but we're not going to talk about it. Oh, a local historian <laughs> by the name of J.T. Townsend, which Courtney loves. Yes. Says he has an idea who it could have been. Like, who was behind the Cincinnati Mm -hmm. most, or wait, the way he described it was Cincinnati's most grisly cold case. It's. I mean, it's pretty grisly. It's pretty grisly, especially with the four-year-old. That's what sticks in my mind. You can, like, it's a lot to stab someone, but go through their entire body in and out four times. Four-year-olds are pretty thick at that point, depending on the four-year-old. Like, they're reasonably, like... <sighs> no, I get what you're saying. Yeah, like, like it's like they're, yeah. they're, like, they're, they're about perth- person with. Yeah. why so, like, mm-hmm. that's pretty thick. It's, it's a lot to stab through. Yeah, and I mean, people normally are just a lot to stab through. Well, yeah, there's, like, stuff that you gotta watch out for, like, bones <laughs> and stuff. I don't know, it's sick. It's um, hard enough to cut through meat you cook sometimes. I know, I was having a hard time with chicken last night, but... That's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> Sheriff Jim Neal granted Townsend full access to the Bricka case file for his 500-page d- dissection of the case for his new book titled Summer's Almost Gone. Guys, let's make it a bestseller. Yes. Let's go. I'm going to buy it as soon as it's out. Please, if you review it, let him know that Heather and I sent you. hmm We would appreciate that, just so he figures out who we are. So we can interview him, and it would be okay and not creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Townsend <laughs> We're not gonna slide into his DMs and just be like, hey there. How you hey, doing? Townsend. Actually, I probably will. That's probably exactly how I'm gonna reach out to him. <laughs> With a less creepy voice? Well yeah, it's on the internet. It's all less creepy. Sometimes it's more creepy on the internet. Hey Townsend, can you call me? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Townsend said he wrote the book to shoot down persistent rumors. <gasps> rumor mill, rumor mail. Wait, love- We need a song for it. Rumors, rumors. I was thinking of like you did. You did the spirit fingers. (laughs) No, I did like jazz hands, but they're like moving jazz hands. But again, podcasting is not a visual medium, and ninety percent of my actions are weird dance moves. I mean, we share that. It's fine. So remember earlier in the episode when I mentioned Mm -hmm. the quote-unquote especially suspicious interviews that police had. I also want everything I'm tagged with especially suspicious. My food I make just has tags on it that say especially su- suspicious because think about it, no one's stealing your shit. Especially suspicious, okay. Well, of the 16 flagged interviews, two interviews were with Dr. Fred Leininger, a veterinarian for whom Linda had worked for as a receptionist temporarily for three days the same week of her death. So, so wait, why? Question one. Well, for statement one, let's go with statement one. Uh, that's always suspicious. When someone's a secretary, because of the tendency for people who are secretaries or receptionists to be involved with other people, because I think it's kind of just boring sometimes when you're doing those jobs. That's my next sentence. <laughs> and I'm psychic. And with whom she was rumored to be having an affair. Courtney already dropped the bomb for you guys. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just. I'm just wicked smart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's kind of connect the dots at this point. <laughs> I like connect the dots. Normally they make animals. You're not lying. So, according to Townsend, Fred Leininger could have had a hand in the killings. Or a paw. Dun-dun-dun. <laughs> you just got that. <laughs> I was still on my own dun-dun-dun before he said that. So, those flagged interviews included the two interviews, like I said, with Fred Leininger. He was interviewed for about 45 minutes on October 8th, This was after he was first talked to very, very briefly, I I believe the day after the bodies were found, just because she worked for him, so they were Mm -hmm. trying to find out her schedule. But then on October 8th, they interviewed him for about 45 minutes, and that, that information can all be found in Townsend's book, like we discussed earlier, The Queen City Gothic. So, according to the police file, detectives thought Leininger was lying, and they wanted to interview him more. Leininger was lying? Mm-hmm. Leininger lies? Mm-hmm. It's part <laughs> of his name. However, they never had the chance to because Leininger hired a lawyer and refused to answer even basic questions about the case. He was very deceitful in his first interview and, like, about the relationship that he shared with Linda. hmm Then witnesses started coming forward stating that they'd seen him and Linda parked on a lover's lane together. Ooh. Also... Walking down like the same lovers lane. I don't know how to describe. It. Okay, so like not like an alleyway, but like back roads, like just a back road. Yeah, just like a small back road, like out of the main public's view. You know, they were trying to keep it a secret. They were they were taking paths. Yes, there you like go. a wooded path. Yeah, so like out of out of the sight of people, but they still saw him. Can we please talk about if Linda, it would be Linda Leininger, (laughs) and that is a horrible combination. That's probably why she didn't want to marry him. She's like, I already got a husband, I have a fine last name, it's Bricka. So, those witnesses started coming forward, then he became more agitated, and he didn't want to answer any more questions, but what really threw him over the edge is when they called his wife to get more information. We both had cases with cheating and someone's wife getting in trouble. Yep. These ladies... Also, They'd be bored. I would say it's not suspicious that he got a lawyer. Because, like, you should probably, if you're getting questioned by the police, you probably should have a lawyer. Oh, of course. But not answering basic questions, I think even Nick and Jessa would be like, mmm. Yeah, to an extent. But also, this was right after the Miranda Rights thing came out. So, that basically safeguarded him completely. Like, he was never questioned by them again. Because they never arrested him on suspicion. Because... Let's get back to it. Okay, so if Fred had something to do with it, what would the motive be? Rejection. Okay. There are a couple theories that I found on this one specifically related to Fred. So maybe Jerry surprised Fred in the house and things escalated. Hmm. So maybe when he came home. But they were all in their beds. That's what I'm wondering. Well, they were in their bedrooms. Oh. So what if Fred was in there with her, Mm -hmm. Jerry came home, saw it, killed him. Then, um, she, Linda, was trying to maybe fight him off, trying to make him stop. He got mad at her, enraged, killed her. Then the little Debbie... Walks in. Little Debbie, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean that. Okay, cut that in. Oh, no, and I'm then, keeping that in, because that is, it lightens it up. Little it, baby Debbie comes in, and, like, think about it. If if she is having an affair with this Fred guy, and she's always with her daughter... Mm-hmm. Chances are she knows who this Fred guy is. They also had two dogs, so she could always say, "Oh, you know, this is their vet" or whatever. You know, she could play it off as if it's not like an affair to the little child. Were the dogs okay? That's the real question. Yeah, we'll get to that. All right. They're okay. Uh, they were they were spiked a little bit. They're okay. I- I'll explain. Hmm. Um, but think about it. Like if Debbie knew him, mm-hmm. maybe it's just mommy's friend. Maybe you know. Yeah. It's it's our doggy's vet, you know, whatever. But if she walked in on him doing that and saw the chaos ensuing, he had to kill her. She knew who he was. She might have run back to her bedroom to hide. To hide. And he went in there and killed her because he's like, shit, now I have witness. And, and she knows who I am. Adrenaline's going. Mm. Mm-hmm. Some rage. Yep. So um so however, you know, he lawyered up, he never confessed to anything, and the police were never able to gather his fingerprints. Like they gathered some from the scene, but they were never able to test them against his because they were never able to fingerprint him. He lawyered up too fast. Did he not touch a glass and then he did not take the glass and the gloves and go... I guess not. But remember, they had some fingerprints that were unidentified, remember? Mm -hmm. Could be his. So from what the Cincinnati.com article depicts, while Leininger was never publicly named a suspect, his name, in fact, only once appears in an Inquirer archive Um, As having been peripherally tied to the Brickas. police surveillance and neighborhood gossip ensured he'd live the rest of his life under a cloud of suspicion by everyone. He and his wife, this is the mind-blowing thing, they both killed themselves in 2004. Now, there were rumors stating that they moved to Florida for a while and that they killed themselves, or that he died, quote-unquote, in Sarasota. Well, when Townsend started investigating that little lead, mm-hmm. he started talking to their family members, and they're like, no, they both killed themselves here in Cincinnati in 2004. So I'm going to stop there for a second. Why would she kill herself too, unless she knew about it and she felt guilty? If, if that's why he killed himself, because yeah. he felt guilty about it, do you think she did it because she couldn't deal with the guilt? Do they know how? I couldn't they find it. Completed? I want to dig way deeper. Because my thought is, depending on how they completed suicide, might depend what if it was m- murder suicide, suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, then my question is also if he was a suspect i'm sorry if that that corpse came in i'd be like fingerprint the shit out of that and um, right that's what i would think mhm so i hmm, i don't know but it makes you wonder were yeah. they were they both involved did she find out about linda did she go over there what if they were fighting about it and it just escalated mm mm-hmm. mhm just a it's been a thorn on her side the whole time, like, mm-hmm. or what if he was cheating again? I mean, it could be that, it could be any of those things, and it could be, maybe she knew about it back then, maybe she had a gut feeling about it, them having an affair back then, and then when she was contacted by the police, she's like, oh my god, he did it. Mm-hmm. Like, the person who knows you the most is the person who's married to you, who lives with mm-hmm. you, sees you every day, knows yeah. what causes you to have tempers, or, you know. You'd have to be a sociopath not to, like, yeah. deal with that. Or, Maybe she had problems with mental health, and as soon as she went, he was scared that they, maybe she left something. Possibly. Because think about it, I feel like it depends on who went mm-hmm. first, too. And whoever Townsend talked to in their family, I'd like to, like, hear this interview or read more about it. I'm sure mm-hmm. it's, like, from from what I read, this stuff is in that new book, so yeah. I really want to read it. I don't think it came out yet. It's coming. No, it's not. It's not out yet. It's pre-order, mm-hmm. right? I think. I don't know if he's act- actually done with it yet. The latest <sighs> update I had was, like, December 18th, and it, there was an interview with him, so I'm mm-hmm. not sure if it's out yeah, now. Yeah, the Cincinnati.com. Yep. So, I really want to I really want to <laughs> really yeah. read it, but... Yeah, that's why you support your local news, because Cincinnati Inquirer is great. So Yes, they are. Fantastic support. They're player. very, yeah. So, Townsend said, quote, if this suspect did it, then he continued to run his business over here until 1995. If you kill three people, what part of your brain do you store that in when you go on with your life? Same question I've been having about every serial killer. (laughs) I mean, like, do you file that away in the "Mm, not going to think about it anymore category or what? I think it depends on the person. And it didn't affect his business either. He had a veterinary clinic. And even though all that suspicion was surrounding him, it never affected his business. He must have been a really good vet. They're really hard to find. He must have been taking care of them doggos. Through the police file that Townsend was given access to, he also learned that police had flagged interviews with some of Leininger's friends. Another twist to the story, including legendary local TV personality Glenn Ryle, who hosted the children-friendly The Skipper Ryle Show from 1955 to 1972. Now, I fell down another Reddit hole with this guy. So, we're not going to get into that <laughs> right now. We'll <laughs> check out Reddit. Look up this case. It's insane. Look up that mm-hmm. uh, TV personality. Yeah. But the next part that I'm going to read... Buy Townsend's book. Like, yes. Townsend, Literally. Yes. Buy his book because it'll probably answer so many more So things. many questions. I cannot wait to buy it. Yeah. I know. So, the next part I pulled directly from that Cincinnati.com article where he was interviewed mm. by Cincinnati or by the Enquirer. Um. And he was interviewed about that book. Summer's almost gone. So it says, Townsend's book offers the most detailed exploration of the Bricka massacre to date while trying to put the crime into context. The family was slain between the fourth and fifth victims of the so-called Cincinnati Strangler. So, though that killer seemed to be targeting elderly women rather than young couples, some in the city initially assumed the Bricka killings had to be connected. Um... Postil Lasky Jr. would be arrested for one of the stranglings and blamed for six others in December of 1966. So, very three close. months later, yeah. He died in prison in 2007. Those stranglings, added with the Bricka murders, put the whole city on edge, Town- Townsend said. Even he began having nightmares about it. In his prologue to Summer's Almost Gone, Townsend describes hearing about Jerry Bricka's death soon after taking out the trash and then dreaming that his own father was slain by the same killer while hauling garbage to the curb. Townsend says the dream scared him so much that he wet the bed at 13 years old. I don't blame him. That's terrifying. (laughs) That is terrifying. So it's always bothered him that no one was ever convicted in the Bricka case. There were rumors abound, to be sure, some involving satanic cults, others purporting mafia links, but police were never able to turn the rumors into arrests. Justice is likely never coming in this case, but Townsend hopes that answers still might. He said, it's time we got the story out there. Which, thank you. Like, we need more yes. people like that doing these kind of cases. Um, and almost done. So, I found a couple more articles. And in an article by Evan Millward, I think you read this article also. Mm-hmm. Um, an evidence bag contains Leininger's hair samples and a piece of tape that was found on Jerry Bricka's face. No, I didn't read this one, no. Oh, okay. So, it came back as medical or veterinary tape. But Leininger was never charged with anything. He killed himself in 2004, which I already told you. And he said, quote, I think the murder of the child just incensed everybody. Why did they? People were thinking this was some kind of robbery gone wrong and everything, but why did they kill the child? The child could identify at least one of the killers. No question in my mind. That's what we just said. So especially if the child knew the suspect, which is very possible. Townsend said he believes multiple people were involved in the murders and the killers were emotionally entangled with the victims. It wasn't a mob hit. It wasn't a robbery. It wasn't a serial killer. It wasn't a Manson-like cult. These were people who knew the victims, were personally involved with them, had some kind of massive conflict that apparently they felt there's only one way out of here, and that's to take them all out. So the Hamilton County Sheriff's Office sent the following statement when all this stuff came out about his book. Mm Um, the Hamilton County Sheriff's Office Criminal Investigative Section considers the Bricka family murders as an open, cold case. Therefore, we will not comment on the uncharged suspects. Gerald, Linda, and Deborah Bricka were murdered in their Greenway home in Bridgetown on September 27, 1966, which that's the day they were found. They're mm-hmm. assuming they were murdered two days before that. This case has drawn much publicity and has long since been something of great interest to residents of Green Township and the surrounding areas, Since 1966, this case has been reviewed several times, physical evidence evaluated, and submitted for testing as technology advances. To date, no one has been charged in this case. We are aware of the recent publication by J.T. Townsend and the extensive research done by several local media outlets. The renewed interest in the case helps spark conversation, which we hope will lead to new information. We will continue to work for closure of these brutal murders. (sighs) Okay. That's my case. You forgot the dogs. What about the dogs? Oh, the dogs. Yeah. I even have a newt down here. About that. <laughs> okay. So, um, so one of the theories was that, so they had two dogs and one of them was very protective of Linda. So mm-hmm. like anytime people would come over, it doesn't matter who they were, if the dogs knew them or not, they would mm-hmm. act like they were going to attack mm-hmm. because if anybody got too close to Linda, um, there are different reasons for that. Perhaps, um, like one of that dog had always been protective of her, but in the recent months, I guess it was very protective of her. But several reasons why. So they think that maybe she was pregnant, mm. um, very early on in her pregnancy. Yeah. But it could have been the affair pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, she. Uh, what was the other one? I mean, it could have been like her dog, where she raised it. Right. Yeah. So it's just. Very- it's just very protective of her, but. So, that night, one of the theories was that when they went... Because the dogs were locked up when the police arrived. They were locked in another bedroom. So, Mm -hmm. what they're thinking is that either Jerry locked the dogs up before he answered the door that night. Mm -hmm. So, they were all already laying down ready for bed. Mm -hmm. He unlocks the door but puts the dogs in another room. And then everything happened. But, thing is, something that I read on one of the Reddit threads was that the dogs were given something... Yeah. to basically incapacitate them for a while. It mm. didn't hurt them, but hello, a fucking vet. They would how know would how you to know? do that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so originally when the police got there, they assumed that she had been sexually assaulted. Mm. Because of what they found, you know, uh, it appeared that she had recently had sex or mm. been raped, but she didn't have any abrasions or anything. Mm. So they were like, oh, never mind. She wasn't raped. She just had sex within the last 48 hours. Then they started speculating on how he was always at work, so how could she have had sex, but they were still a newly married couple. Yeah. So it's quite possible, possible that they were having sex every few days, whatever. But since there were no cuts or abrasions, they automatically ruled out rape from the so beginning. So they didn't get any... No. <sighs> which which bothers me because not everybody's the same size, so not everybody's going to tear you or yeah. abrade. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even if it is a forced like a sexual assault there might be bruising a little bit but yeah. other than that no yeah and and if you're sexually active already with your partner on a regular basis it's not necessarily going to happen that you're going to have like any type of visual mm-hmm. Stuff, you know, visual damage or whatever. They would have to go look more closely. Right. And I think once they realized that there wasn't any, like, abrasions, they were like, oh, never mind, she wasn't raped, it's fine. So, I don't, so a couple of those things just kind of bothers me because, like, she very well could have been raped. Mm -hmm. He, Jerry, very well could have come in in the middle of this. Mm -hmm. And that's how. That happened, but something else that Townsend had said and mentioned in his book was that whoever the killers were, they were in the house for quite some time. Oh, yeah. So they had time to clean up if there was a struggle, Mm Hmm. you know, and, like, how they were killed in the bedroom. They had time to make sure that everything was in the bedroom. Yeah. Like, if there was a struggle downstairs or whatever. So that way if someone looked in the window, they wouldn't see anything. Exactly. They would just think that people were sleeping. Yeah. So you want to hear my friend's theory? Yes. So and I had never heard of this case until you guys sent it to me. So I was like, "What?" Yeah. And I've lived here my whole life. So he's a big Cincinnati history buff and true crime buff, and we kind of became friends because he made fun of me. And then I asked him what I was coloring. <laughs> that's how it goes. I was coloring at work, so it's kind of fair. I that's nothing to make fun of. <laughs> it's a <laughs> it great stress reliever. It wasn't even for that. It was for a presentation, but uh, um, and I asked him what he was doing, and he had I he had on his phone, His personal phone, um, investigation, discovery. So we started talking about this. So he actually told me about this first, and then the next day that article comes out on the from the Cincinnati Enquirer. That's so weird. It was. I was like, Google. Yeah, our overlords Google, are listening. Are you here? Are you here, Google? It's me, Courtney. <laughs> Seriously, though, right? It listens um, to everything. So, but his theory, and he kind of knows because he's from that area, like someone. It's, like, the, the kids and stuff. hmm It was the veterinarian, but he his best friend was another veterinarian, so... My, how the tables have turned. <laughs> so, I believe his... And it's been a couple days since I've seen him, because of the holidays. Um, but he was basically, like, maybe he accidentally killed them and then, like, called his friends. And they, like, helped him out. Or they helped him do it because of how short she worked at the office, so maybe she said no, and it just, like... Which makes sense, because of how they said that they questioned some of his friends, and they were mm-hmm. kind of suspicious about them. Oh, <gasps> yeah. shit. And if you think about it, for you and your veterinarian friend, like, you both, like, one could take care of the dogs, while the other one... Yeah. And that would explain the multiple killers in the house, which is what the police are suspecting. Yeah. Because, really, I mean... Wow. And he he explained to me why he didn't think it was a mob hit, too, which was really interesting because a lot of those organized crime hits they don't take out kids. Oh yeah, no. If they like there's been numerous like mob cases in Cincinnati where they don't touch the kids. No. The kids are sleeping. They leave, they leave them. them. Mm-hmm. But the fact I agree like it's so personal to kill the baby. Well, it's personal anyway. Stabbing yeah. is the most intimate way to kill somebody. It it has to do with that crime of passion. It has to do with that person mm-hmm. directly affected you. Like yeah. they were close to you in some sense. That you stab them. Like, if they shot them, it's not that personal. It could be personal, but it's not, like, intimate personal. Stabbing equals intimate. Stabbing or manual strangulation. Oh, yeah. Because what's more personal, your hands are on their neck. Right. You know, so, yeah, no. This case, I'm hoping it gets solved. I can't wait for this book to come out. I know. I'm so excited. I want to buy Queen City Gothic, too. I have them requested at the library. (gasps) I'm so excited. I think I'm just going to buy it. So I can have it. (laughs) Yeah, I've just he it. You're gonna get on Amazon right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So go out there, buy all of his books. Buy all of his books. Tell him we sent you. Tell him we. Tell him I live very close to him and I want to meet him. (laughs) Seriously. Maybe don't tell that she lives very close to him because I don't know where he lives. Well, he lives downtown. I don't live that close, okay? But I still want to meet him. (laughs) I live in Ohio. We both live in Cincinnati area. We would love. To meet him. I would love have to have a little power. Wow, have lunch with him, okay? Pick his brain. In a public space so he knows I'm not going to hurt him. He's a man. He doesn't really worry about that. Well, some do. Some do, yes. Yeah. Some, <laughs> some smart men. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, never know. So, um, do you want to do some plug-in? So, Nature versus Narcissism, true crime comedy, dark humor, you know, like Little Debbie thing. I really didn't mean to do that at all. It just kind of happened. It happens. Um, so, we'll start season two. We're aiming for February 1st. We're um, getting the last few things done. We're getting new music and stuff. So, that's being done right Ooh. now. Yes, by Nico. Of We Talk of Dreams. He's very, very talented. So, definitely check him out. But, so, true crime comedy with nature versus narcissism. We talk about serial killers. Uh, Season one was alphabetical by their name. Season two is alphabetical by their location. Ooh. So, and they're going to be from all over the world. Different countries and everything. We're still taking suggestions because I still have, like, six letters that I'm waiting for -hmm. good ones on. Yeah. (laughs) It's hard, but I have a whole list. So, uh, status pending is investigative, true crime, No dark humor at all. We do a little bit of lighthearted stuff on the Patreon account, which you can join that for a dollar, and you get all of the extras. You get stickers, magnets, all all that kind of stuff. And then um, we try to do one case a month. We try to do it in three parts, so it's called a chapter. Sometimes if we don't get the interviews that we request, we do a dossier episode, which our most recent was Jamie Closs. It was a dossier. It still ended up being like an hour long, though. Um, and we're also going to have a follow-up Patreon episode for that because we found some evidence that we didn't know existed before we recorded. So yes. we're really excited about that. So, yeah, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of the social medias. And we're, we're really active on them. So mm-hmm. you'll get a response usually within 15, 20 minutes. If, <laughs> if not, it'll be the same day. So yeah. it's fun. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, it's always... I'm glad you didn't know, about like, I'm glad you didn't look up this case, because I I was really stoked when I started researching it. I purposely ignored, like, as soon as you said, yes, I want to do this, I said, okay, I'm done Good looking at it. Because I like like being able to tell people and see their genuine reactions Mm -hmm. to it, not the, oh, I already read this, but I'm going to act shocked. (gasps) Oh, my. (laughs) You know? (laughs) You can't fake some responses. I know. And I'm like, I don't know. That's why, I, I don't know. I loved it. I loved researching in this case. I'm still researching it, actually. because you so addicted. much. I'm addicted to it now. Okay, devotees. We'll see you next week with a new guest host. Bye. Bye. Murder. Murder. There are many true crime podcasts available, each offering a different perspective to the genre. Each with their own niche that pulls the listener in by tugging at their heartstrings or their funny bone in one way or another. What we aim to do with status pending is make you think. We want you to feel as though you're connected to the case. We want you to feel something. The cases we're going to cover have discrepancies of some sort and may or may not be well known. They are either unsolved, prematurely closed, or open without any solid leads. We want to get these stories out to the public, for the family, and for the victims. Join us every month for a different case, which will be a different chapter in our podcast as we take a three-part look into the facts. We'll have interviews, expert opinions, and more. And we'll also be looking for suggestions from you for cases to take on as we move forward. You can email us at statuspendingpodcasts at gmail.com. And you can subscribe to Status Pending wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, I'm Heather. And I'm Rochelle. And And we're we're from from Nature Nature vs. Narcissism, narcissism. a true crime podcast mixed with some dark humor. Sometimes we have alcohol. Sometimes we have guests. Since I've always been fascinated by true crime, I wanted to delve deeper into the criminal mind and discuss why these criminals commit these vile acts. Was it nature? Was it nurture? Or was it just plain old narcissism? Join us every week for a brand new episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, and Podbean. Don't Don't call the the cops. cops! Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Cult of Domesticity. We are available on all podcatchers on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter at The Domestic Podcast and Instagram at The Cult of Domesticity. If you have a topic request, information, or want to send us a recipe, please email us at thedomesticpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and share with all your friends. Remember to stay domestic and cult-free.